Welcome to STEM Four's podcast, Understanding Teen Minds, where we explore the world of teenage mental health, looking at everything from signs and symptoms to early intervention. STEM Four is a charity that promotes positive mental health in teenagers and those who support them. This includes their families and carers, education professionals, as well as school nurses and GPs. STEM Four's mission is to foster the development of good mental health in teenagers by enhancing early understanding and awareness, and providing mental health education and resilience strategies. Join us as we open up the conversation on young people's mental health. Hello, and welcome to STEM Four Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Dr. Nahara Krause, and I'm the CEO and founder of STEM4, a teenage mental health charity based in London. I'm also a consultant clinical psychologist with many years of experience in a variety of mental health settings and a passion for improving the mental health of our young people. Um, so today we're going to talk about emotionally based school avoidance and what is important is to really, first of all, focus a little on the name or the title itself. So emotionally based school avoidance or school avoidance was renamed this as opposed to school refusal because it describes a group of children and young people who have severe difficulty attending school due to emotional factors often resulting in long absences from school. And those emotional factors are really important to acknowledge. School refusal gives the impression that this is a voluntary thing on the part of children and young people. And so people see it as truancy. But actually, emotionally based school avoidance or EBSA forms into the area of phobias or anxiety conditions. So for a moment, if we were to think about a specific phobia, for example, let's say a spider phobia, the most common response to that would be to try and avoid a spider. Or indeed, if the fear is really huge, to go to very great lengths to make sure that you're nowhere near any situation where you might encounter a spider. So avoidance um, is the right term because for children and young people who present with this condition, there is an enormous anxiety arising from a variety of different situations to do with attending school or college that has created an avoidance. And this in itself creates a negative cycle of anxiety. Because if you start off with a child or young person feeling anxious about school, that will lead to a variety of negative thoughts about school and also negative thoughts about themselves and about their ability to cope. So for example, they may think mm, school's not a safe place for me to be in. And they will also worry about their ability to cope. I'm so uh, weak, I'm not going to be able to stand up to the thing that I'm worried about, for example. And so because they've got these negative thoughts, then avoiding the situation feels like it's going to be the only thing that they can do 
to manage the anxiety. And of course, avoidance in, in the immediacy of a situation brings about a reduction in anxiety. And so therefore, avoidance becomes a coping tool. However, in the longer term, neither the negative thoughts about oneself or about school are being looked at, and there are no new skills about how to deal with an anxiety and face that situation that's being provided to that child or young person. So in the longer term, the short-term strategy that's helping just to reduce anxiety becomes in itself a problem because the more a child doesn't attend school, of course, you will have them falling behind on their schoolwork. There will be secondary losses around friends and friendships changing. They may feel more and more isolated. That will all raise their anxiety about attending school. They may well find that home in contrast to school is a lot more of a pleasant, pleasurable less stressful place to be in, that would make leaving home harder. And so that will then decrease their motivation further to try and get themselves to school. So the one golden rule in terms of trying to manage uh, emotionally based school avoidance is to really try and get in there early. And that's why it's so important for teachers, uh, educators, parents, carers to know what to do in that early stage of avoidance that will help their child or young person to get back to school. Now, there are some things that teachers might notice at school. So, for example, there might be a huge number of anxiety-related symptoms that are reported, which are usually physical. So children and young people might present with headaches, stomach aches, feeling dizzy, feeling panicky. They may talk about feeling very sick in the classroom or actually being sick and also use the toilet very frequently. And the younger the child, the more likely they are going to be to present with a physical symptom because it's very difficult for them to have the words to describe the anxiety that they might feel. There will also be a pattern of anxiety that might be noticed. For example, it's likely that it'll be worse on a Monday after the weekend break. It might be particularly bad after longer holidays. Um, Things like half term is hard, particularly after a six-week summer term absence. It can be very difficult. And so one of the things to also keep in mind is that Even if a child or young person is showing progress leading up to that break, they may well need a little bit more support to go back a couple of steps to continue to make that progress that they do, because it may well be that there's some relapse over that period of break. The other pattern that might be noticed is that anxiety is very high on school days, whilst the family report no symptoms when they're at home. And there might also be some very high levels of anxiety just specifically in some situations, for example, when there's a specific lesson or a specific teacher that has to be faced, perhaps 
during sport if that child or young person is very competitive and they've either had an injury and their return back hasn't been straightforward or indeed if there's been some sort of public loss that they're finding difficult to deal with. And some children and young people might also find some situations where either there's a lot of uh, public focus on them or where they can't escape easily, such as, for example, having to go in at assembly time, much harder to do. So finding out about what those patterns are, observing them can be very helpful when trying to create some sort of an intervention program to help manage the anxiety that a young person would be feeling. So there are a number of underlying factors that need exploring when it comes to helping create an effective plan to target such anxiety. And those factors fall into three different categories. The first is exploring any potential school factors. The second is being aware of and knowing what particular family factors there might be that could potentially be contributing to higher levels of anxiety, and then understanding the young person themselves. Within school, the most commonly reported issue is being bullied or being perceived to be bullied. So this needs to be explored if that is reported to be an issue. The other common school factors that might lead to levels of not attending school will include difficulty with certain subjects, academic demand versus the competence or the capability that the young person feels to meet that academic demand, times of transition. So that's very common because transition is very stressful, particularly for certain children and young people. Maybe if they've got neurodevelopmental problems, for example, or if they're going into a completely different school environment, a very small nurturing school to a big competitive school, for example, or if they're completely new to the, that particular area. Sometimes travel to and from school can be one of the underlying factors. A fear of exams, so exam anxiety or performance anxiety or if there are peer or teacher relationship difficulties. In terms of family, some of the more common factors include some sort of traumatic event or events that have led to higher levels of anxiety and to the child or young person feeling unsettled or unsafe. Separation or divorce in the family or a change of family circumstances which have caused perhaps some uh, extra significant hardship to the family. Parental physical or mental health problems where a child or young person feels that they need to keep an eye on a parent, particularly common in young carers. An overprotective parenting style can sometimes make a child or young person feel extra safe when they're with their family or with their parents and then not know how to protect themselves when they are going to school or in other situations. The experience of loss or bereavement, so that is extremely unsettling for children and particularly if that is around a kind of a, a parent 
or a sibling or family member, or if a child is young, that impact has a very great significance. And connected with that, of course, is a parent who might be very unwell, so that a child, again, or young person might feel like they want to be there to make sure that they're with that parent, particularly if there is a potential bereavement that they have to face. History of emotionally based school avoidance in the family. So, if you've had a sibling, for example, or even a parent who's had emotionally based school avoidance, that can sometimes have an impact on the child or young person because, again, their perspective, their understanding of school and the challenges of school, and also a parent's confidence to support a child or young person who might be presenting with the same sorts of difficulties that they experienced when they were younger can make it much harder. And in terms of the young person, so the temperamental style of a young person is important. I mentioned adjustment before related to transition, but some children and young people have far greater difficulties in adjusting to new. They need a longer time. They need more support. They need smaller group adjustment before they can adjust to larger groups. So knowing that style and supporting that is very helpful. If they're shy, then it stands to reason that that makes it much harder in a a school situation. If you're moving from a single sex school to a co-ed school or the opposite direction, that can sometimes make young people feel more lacking in confidence the degree of sociability in general and social confidence is definitely one of the factors that will impact on the temperamental style of a young person to go to school and make the whole social element of school feel less frightening for them. A fear of failure is another common reason for why some children uh, and young people want to avoid school, but it's an enormous fear of failure uh, and embarrassment. And alongside or accompanied with that low self-confidence or social confidence, if they've had a period of illness or injury, then coming back to school and not being at the same level that they were before can be very difficult for some children or young people, or indeed they might be fearful of that illness becoming further worse if it was potentially a very traumatic experience for them. If they have got learning difficulties, neurodevelopmental needs, and often if they are on the autistic spectrum and it's been unidentified or unsupported, that often is a very common reason for children or young people not going to school and separation anxiety. So these are all the different factors that are worth exploring. And Sometimes some of the factors that I mentioned are actually trigger factors rather than underlying factors. So, for example, a sudden traumatic event such as the death of a pet, for example, or family member or someone important can be a trigger factor rather than an underlying factor. Moving house can be a trigger factor. A new sibling arriving can be a trigger factor rather than an underlying factor and an unexpected failure or an unexpected social embarrassment. So having to present in front of the class and completely forgetting your lines and having a panic attack in front of the class, for example.
people can make it very, very difficult to, it can trigger off potentially some sort of already existing, pre-existing anxiety condition. Um, so STEM4 have created two separate booklets or resources for children and young people, those in primary school, those in secondary school. And there's very helpful questionnaires that a child or young person can do together with either a parent or carer or a teacher to really try and find out what some of those either underlying factors or trigger factors might be. Because once they are known, then it makes it much easier to start to think about what sort of support plan there can be. So in terms of school, having a plan based on the information gathered is extremely helpful. And that plan should be obviously put together with the young person and their family. The plan needs to be a gradual plan for integrating that young person back to school. And the steps that form that plan need to be as small as possible. So this is one of the areas where think small is definitely the advice that I would give rather than all of the information we give our children and young people about thinking big. So think small and Sometimes if you can even think smaller, then it's far more helpful and less anxiety creating for a young person to start to do that. So as an example, a gradual plan might be, you know, if they think small about getting dressed to go to school or getting on the bus to come to school, then thinking smaller would be about how they can make sure that they get up on time and get dressed on time. And if they can achieve that one goal, then it's about how they can then boost their confidence to get to the next goal. School needs to ensure that there are resources and support in place to help support a student to get back to school. So that might be to be able to connect that student with a named teacher or a named assistant at school, to be able to perhaps have a room that they can come into with a parent if the school has assembly first thing in the morning. And that is one of the difficulties then to see whether the child or young person can come in slightly later and to continue to have really good and frequent communication between school, the child the family and anyone else who might be relevant and important to that child or young person's progress. The next element of the plan would be to make sure that progress is monitored, that any adjustments that need to be made to the plan are made, that both school adults are agile and flexible in their adaptation of the plan. So as I mentioned, sometimes having a break can make a child or young person feel anxious again. So if they are on step three of the plan, to not be worried about going back to step one and adjusting it to help them to go through those steps as quickly and as successfully as they can. And to continue really to monitor uh, any other change that can happen. 
So some of the things that the school can also um, embed as part of a good school practice, good school working style and policy is to be able to think a bit about school size and school resource. It's not always very easy based on the size, based on the staffing structure, to have a huge amount of resource. And it might be that thinking about making connections in advance with community resources, having good contacts with children and adolescent mental health services, with student welfare, or indeed outsourcing some sort of support for children who might need extra scaffolding in this area is always a good plan to have as part of a EBSA school policy. It's very helpful to think about school culture and ethos and whether that culture enables students to feel less overwhelmed and far more supported. Academic demand is part and parcel of academic education, but again, to be aware of the developmental needs of each child and to think about how some of the school messaging may come across let's say, before particularly difficult times, such as pre-exams, for example. So potentially a global message about everyone needing to work really hard at assembly may not always be heard in the best possible way by some children who are already feeling extremely panicked and overwhelmed by their ability to deliver to what they perceive the school's expectations of them might be. Certain teaching styles work better for certain children. So again, being able to understand that. So sometimes having a very clear process, clear boundaries, being able to provide some sort of reflective learning, understanding for children who potentially have got difficulty in focusing on in a whole lesson, if they've got ADHD, for example, being able to provide some extra Uh, support from special educational needs may also be helpful. Having peer mentors or peer buddies, if that's a system that's available, a reported teacher that they feel comfortable with, having a look at timetables, thinking a bit about travel to and from school and helping support workload are also some very practical things that can help children and young people overcome their anxiety. So once there is a plan, once there are some troubleshooting tips that are there, then children and young people will benefit from having some strategies to help them to manage the anxiety that they feel as they think about going to school, as they think about facing something that they're frightened of, or indeed if they're in a classroom and they're starting to feel the onset of a panic attack. Our recommendation is to help them to use our Clear Fear app. And again, the booklets, the resources that we have, have very clear instructions and languages on how to use the app. And it is free to use the app that has been developed using an evidence-based approach called cognitive behavior therapy, which is a first-line approach to help manage phobias effectively uh, and it provides children and young people with a range of activities that they can do from breathing techniques to help relieve the physiological symptoms of anxiety to on the moment dealing with panic attack tips that are effective to helping them work 
together with an adult on managing anxious thoughts and how they might substitute particularly challenging thoughts, how they might shelve their worries until they come back home and find a way to review them, or indeed try and change, make their own goals on how they will change certain avoidance behaviours or certain compulsive behaviours as they might be. And they can also have within the app a safety net that they create where they know the sort of chain of command, so to speak, of what they have to do, who they have to contact as their anxiety starts to get better. There are also a whole range of other tools that the STEM4 digital portfolio offer for parents and for educators who might be concerned about how to manage anxiety in general. You may want to look at our Combined Minds app, which uses a strengths-based approach, and also our Calm Harm app or our Calm Cards are very helpful because they're just little practical activities that a child or young person can do together with a sun timer that they can use to time themselves. And it provides a really good distraction or a comforter to help manage those really big waves of anxiety that uh, occur when they are managing uh, school-based avoidance. So my advice would be really to try and identify or help a child or young person identify together with a parent where the causes might be to then really think about addressing those causes, whether it's in terms of giving them extra educational support, extra comfort within a school, but really to help them step by step to face their fear of coming to school and to put avoidance behind them. And to do that, to provide them with a whole range of anxiety management strategies so that they can make that going back to school process as successful as possible. And also to see relapse as part and parcel of getting better and that they have got a holiday plan or a half-term plan or a before exam plan where they know what they have to do to double up to manage their anxiety so that they can very successfully and resiliently negotiate those challenges as they go along. And for parents and carers to be aware that if there are going to be ongoing family changes or potential transitions that a young person has to uh, face, that again, at those times, there is a support system that the child or young person can experience so that they can learn one step at a time that anxiety is something that they can, together with the help of adults in their life, learn how to overcome and move on to facing difficulties with a lot more confidence. Hope you found today's episode helpful. If you did, then please do leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information, you can find a wealth of resources on our website at stem4.org.uk. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at stem 4 Org. Links to our website and our five free apps designed specifically for young people can be found in podcast description. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, keep well. Goodbye.